tonight, and we'll get in the Word of the Lord, Philippians chapter number 3, and uh, give you what the Lord's assigned us to tonight. Philippians 3 and verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to meet indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if, I, if that I may apprehend, that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Within the context of these 14 verses that we have read tonight, Paul begins by saying, finally, my brethren. Now, I've heard some preachers use that as an excuse for saying, now I'm closing. Now I'm closing, 10 minutes later. Now I'm closing, finally closing, 10 minutes later. Now I'm closing, 10 minutes later. Then they'll say, no, Paul said, finally, my brethren, he wrote two more chapters. Well, that ain't what Paul's saying in Philippians 3. He is shifting the context. He's been talking about Epaphroditus and Timothy in the previous chapter, and he's talking about how when Epaphroditus gets back, y'all make sure y'all be good to him and be a blessing to him. And then he kind of shifts. He said, now... Moving on. Finally, my brother, here's one more thing I want to deal with you about. And we got to remember, too, that, that Paul didn't write Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It was all one letter. Thank God God used some men to put the chapter and verse division in later so it would be a whole lot easier to find things in the Word of God. But here he begins to shift the context, and he, he encourages him in verse number 1 to rejoice. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I want to I encourage this tonight as we are preaching this text here in Philippians and over and over again in this epistle Paul is encouraging the people of God to have joy and to rejoice in the Lord I'm telling you if any, anybody ought to be depressed tonight it ought to be the world amen because they have no hope but those of us who are saved by the grace of God and our sins have been washed away we have hope and we have a reason we have a right to be happy in the Lord 
And so that Paul encourages them to rejoice. But then what I'm interested in tonight, he encourages them to remember. He said, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. Now, he is stating in this verse that I'm fixing to write some things to you that I've wrote before. And he said, it's not grievous. He said, it don't bother me to do that because for you, it is safe. What is it? The old adage, repetition is the best teacher. Over and over again, it's the best thing. You watch those ball players, especially during the spring training, they're doing them drills over and over again. I like to watch those infielders do those drills with the Braves third base coach, and he'll have them on their knees with a, with a bat and he's just popping them balls and they're just scooping them one after another and they got to do so many uh, a day he's, and that why do you do that he said because repetition getting that muscle it helps them to remember those men make millions of dollars surely they can field a ground ball you'd be surprised alright any Red Sox fans ever heard of Bill Buckner they'd wish that Ron Washington had done some drills with him now if you're not educated and sophisticated you don't know what I'm talking about but me and Richie and brother Travis know what we're talking about alright but repetition teaches you how to do things. Why did, why in, in Daxon school over and over again they're having to write, write out his alphabet again. Write it out. Write it out. Why? Because it's teaching him. Repetition. So I want to preach on this thought tonight. Remember not to forget. Remember not to forget because you and I as humans, we are, we know everything. I mean, we know the Bible, don't we? I mean, we've, we've got it all figured out. That's why y'all ain't asking Bible questions anymore. Y'all done got it figured all out. I mean, we know it all. We, we have that knowledge. But I tell you, there are many hearers of the word, but there's not many doers of the word. And Paul in this text says, I want to remind you not to forget. There are some things that he deals with in this, in this text tonight, in these 14 verses that we have read, that, that we need to remember. First of all, tonight, notice in verses 1 through 3, if you're taking notes, I notice the safe warning. The safe warning. He said, to, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And he warns them about two things in verse number 2 and verse number 3. First of all, he warns them about the contradiction against the faith or to the faith. The contradiction to the faith. Look at verse number 2. Beware of dogs. That's what TCU should have heeded. Amen. And Ohio State, Brother Travis. They should have beware of the dogs. Amen. But he said beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers and beware of the concision. Now somebody said, Preacher, that doesn't mean anything to me. And it shouldn't because you are not that Philippian church in that context. You better remember this. All the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written to you. This was a letter that Paul was writing to a church. And this little verse, these little, this warning about the dogs and the evil workers and the concision, even though they don't mean anything to us today, it meant something to that Philippian church. These dogs, these people that Paul, these evil workers, these people Paul are talking about are the Judaizers. These are, a, are an age enemy, just like the Philistines were the enemy of David in the Old Testament, the Judaizers were the enemies of the Apostle Paul in his ministry. Now the Judaizers taught this. i got a lot of ground to cover in 30 minutes, so I'm going to have to run quick. But the Judaizers taught this. Yes, you need Jesus Christ. Yes, you need God's grace. But at the same time, not only do you need God's grace, but you got to work at it too. 
So what they were doing, they were mixing the grace of God and the law. They were saying, yes, you need Jesus, but you got to do this, this, and this, and this. By the way, the Judaizers are still alive and well today. Well, if you really got saved, you're going to do X, Y, or Z. Well, you're going to do X, Y, or Z or God's going to kill you. But you ain't saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what Jesus has done. I believe in God. I believe there ought to be birthmarks of a believer. I believe there ought to be a change. But you don't say, well, now you get saved and you get baptized and you're really saved. Now, I'm a Baptist. I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead, just like most Baptists are anyway. They're already dead. All right? And I believe in baptism. I was dunked. Uh, but did you know you can go to heaven and not be baptized? That thief on the cross didn't get baptized. And, I, and, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're going to be a midday in paradise. Jesus said, now look, you got to get baptized. There's a lot of dispensational things we could talk about right there. We're not going to take time to do that. But here's my point tonight. You don't, I know churches say, now, now you got to get saved and then get baptized to complete your salvation. No. Somebody walked in here Sunday morning and got born again. And then they passed, with the, and they passed away Sunday afternoon. We don't say, man, they, they were close, wasn't they? Oh boy, all they had to do was get dunked. Or how about this? They weren't a member of a local New Testament church. Well, I believe you ought to be a local member of a local New Testament Baptist church. But that is not part of your salvation. Your salvation is in what Jesus Christ done on the cross. But these Judaizers, they said, well, you got to add this, you got to add this, you got to add this, you got to add this. If you're really going to be saved, and Paul said, you better watch that crowd. They're going to add works to grace. In fact, that's what he wrote the book Galatians about. Warning against those Judaizers that were adding works to salvation. I believe in baptism tonight. If you've been saved, listen to me now. If you've been saved, if you've not been baptized, you really ought to do that. What is baptism for? It is identifying with the gospel, with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are Baptists. We're not Methodists tonight. We're not Presbyterians tonight. We are Baptists. John the baptizer. That's what he did. He was a baptizer. John was the first one ever to baptize. Yeah, feel how awkward that was. John said on the banks of the Jordan River, so you got to be baptized. And John said, they said, what's that, John? I'm going to dunk you in the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> you imagine that first, you imagine the first guy? <laughs> Think John's going to get me here. We're going to find out here in a second. But well, we do that to identify. I tell people all the time when I'm baptizing that baptism is like wearing a wedding ring. I can take my wedding ring off and I'm still married. But what it does, it identifies that I belong to someone. So, but it's not adding a work to grace. It's not adding, it's not church membership. And, and but I gotta hurry. But church membership is not a part of your salvation. But it's a good thing to do. Amen. He he uses three terms to describe these Judaizers. He calls them dogs. The term dogs, Paul, Paul uses this term because they were always on his trail. That's like an old. Because I got dumb dog we have. Just follow me around all the time. I mean, just always follow me around. Somebody, Grace said, don't you remember you said you wanted the dog that lay at your feet? I said, yes, lay at my feet, not walk every step that I take with me. I have the Lord to walk with me and talk with me. I don't need a dog. Somebody help me, all right? And she don't know when to get out of the way. He's going to kick her and get out of the way. Amen. Somebody said, you shouldn't kick a dog. Yeah, that's the same person that kicks their kids. <laughs> Hello? 
And, and, but, but it's always on his trail. Everywhere, where, everywhere Paul went, they was just snapping at his heels. They was trying to defile the work that Paul had done. Paul would go somewhere and preach, and just a little while later, here come them Judaizers saying, yeah, Paul told you right about, about the gospel, but now you gotta add this too. You gotta add this too. Paul said they're a bunch of dogs. But then he'll call them evil workers. This evil workers is, is kind of, here's what Warren Wearsby said. These men taught the sinner that was saved by, that they, these men taught that the sinner was saved by faith plus good works, especially the works of the law. But Paul states that their good works are really evil works because they're performed in the energy of the flesh. You listen to me tonight. If somebody is trying to work their way to heaven or earn their way to heaven, that is an evil work. And they are evil workers because they have not placed their faith and their trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're trying to add something to it when you can't add anything to it. And Paul said they're dogs and they're evil workers. Here's what Paul talks about in Galatians, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Meaning the law showed us that we could not keep it. It was to show us that we had a fault in ourselves. Then he calls them to beware of the dogs, the evil workers, and the concision. Now once again, this don't mean anything to us because we're not Jews. But what this concision was, it refers to the fact that these Judaizers taught that physical circumcision would bring salvation. But in all truth, this circumcision of the flesh for salvation was just a mutilation of their body that did not bring regeneration. It was like that crowd that, that Moses wrote against about cutting their flesh and making marks in their body for the dead, mutilating their body. By the way, I'm still against tattoos. Somebody say amen right there. Now, I can't, now if you've got one in the, and you've got one, you can't do nothing about that now, but you can help getting any more. Somebody say amen. Hey, you young people, if you don't, if your body's not been scarred up, listen to some people around here that wish they never would have made that decision. I don't know why I'm preaching on that, but they wish they never would have made that decision go that way. Somebody say, I'm, I'm just telling you, they, they're mutilating their body. And when people, when people do that, it's like walking in here and taking spray paint and spraying the walls of the, of the temple, the body of Christ. This, this, he says, beware of these, of these dogs, these evil workers of concision. So he gives them a warning about the contradiction to the faith. But then secondly, he gives them a warning about the confidence in the flesh. Now I'll be honest with you, Brother Richie, I have preached this verse out of context for a long time. I preached that, yeah, you can't put no confidence in your flesh, you can't trust your flesh. And that is correct. You can't trust your flesh. You know, if you got a, if you got a mean dog, I, I hate, I, I, some people think I hate all animals. I don't hate all animals. I just hate most animals, particularly the ones that live in my house. I don't mind Jasper the cat. He looks just like Sylvester. He don't bother nobody. That's an animal. That's the way an animal ought to be. Leave everybody else alone. Uh, unless he's hungry, then he'll bother you. But um, if you, I, I hate pit bulls. I hate them. They're, they're bread-born killers. Say, so ain't in them. <laughs> You're crazy. It's in them. Rottweilers. I, I don't like. Oh, there, there's bread born. Somebody say, ain't that a cute little baby? It ain't no baby. <laughs> what brother Richard Miss Asia has a baby? That's a dog. 
I, it, uh, man, people treat animals, and I know it may be all you got, but my goodness, you got a preacher in a preacher's family. Love on us if you ain't got no help about love on. Amen. I mean, they'll let that dog lick them in the face. You really don't know where that dog's mouth's been the last week and a half. Amen. How do I get on preaching on dogs? Well, it's in the text. It really, I thought about preaching Kurtz, beware of dogs. You know, you got the hot, uh, what is it, the, the greyhound, and you got the uh, junkyard dog and all that, uh, but I didn't do that. But Paul, Paul states, he said, uh, I have no idea how I got on that. And y'all are trying to the same thing as well. Here, here's my point. This confidence in the flesh. Oh, I know what it was. If you've got a big dog, if you're going to have one of them mean dogs, you better get a big rope for it. You better build a fence. You better have a chain. You better have something to keep it. If you're going to have one, you better have something to keep it away from everybody, especially if it's dangerous. Well, it ain't dangerous to me. Well, no, but it's going to be dangerous. As dumb as our dog is, it snapped at people it didn't know before. It wouldn't know what to do if it got a hold of somebody. But so, so, you, so we, we can't put confidence in flesh. You can't trust it. But you know, that's not what Paul's talking about in this text. He's talking about salvation in this text. He's talking about people adding works to grace. So watch what he says. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean here? Well, he combats the false doctrine by reminding the believers that salvation is by grace alone. In the Old Testament, circumcision was commanded by God under both the Abrahamic and the Mosaic law for the Jews. Circumcision was a symbolic acknowledgement of the total inability of the flesh to produce seed or fruit for God. In the New Testament, the symbolic rite is abolished. Under the New Covenant, we are circumcised not of the cutting of the body with a knife, but in the death of Christ, the cutting edge of the cross that He brought upon our heart. Paul said, for I know in me that is my flesh, well, it's no good thing. So here's, here's his point. Salvation is not you taking what Christ offered and, and uh, offered you and what you can do and put them together, but salvation is by grace through faith without works. Here's what John Philip said. The flesh is a cut off, uh, is cut off in the place of death, is put to death. And when we got saved, we died. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what Paul's doing. I know that's a lot of stuff we don't understand because we're not Jews and we're not of that day and age. These Philippian believers knew what he's talking about. Let's bring it down to our day now and make the application. you got to watch these people that think they're good enough to get to heaven. That is what is going on here. That's what these people say. Well, if you get circumcised just like Moses said, then, then that's all you got to do because you're keeping the law and you'll be good enough. Hey, there ain't nobody good enough tonight. The Bible said there's none good. No, not one. We're not good tonight. So Paul gives them a safe warning. But then, notice secondly, and I i got to hurry. Not only the safe warning, but then verses 4, 5, and 6, the stated works. 
The stated works, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh uh, that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. As Paul continues in this place in confidence in the flesh in order to attain salvation, he reminds the believers of his past. And here's what Paul's saying right here, and I'm going to try to run through this quickly. Paul said, I'm going to tell you, if anybody was good enough to work their way to heaven, it would have been me. That's what Paul's saying in verse number 4. He said, uh, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. He, and, and, y'all with me? He said, he said, if anybody could have said, you know what, I can work and earn my salvation, he said it would have been me. Somebody said, that's a bold statement. Well, then he gives the reasons why. First of all, if you're taking notes, he talks about the beginning of his path. Look at verse number 5 circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews. The beginning of his path. Here's what that's talking about. He said, I was born in a good family. You realize the family he was born in was the tribe of Benjamin. He was born in the same tribe that Israel got their first king. Who was Israel's first king? Saul, it's you know Saul, Paul, and Acts. You know it's possibly that he was named after King Saul. He was raised. He was born to a good family. That's what he said. Then he was he was raised in church, circumcised the eighth day. You remember Mary and Joseph? What did they do with Jesus when he was eight days old? They took him to the temple. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, "My, my mom and daddy took me to the temple when I was just an infant." He said, "So I was born in a good home." I was raised in church. Watch what else he says here. I was a, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, I was the best one around. I was the best. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't go to the wrong places. I didn't hang out with the wrong people. I didn't run spit or chew or run with the girls that do. I was a good person. The beginning of his path. But then notice his background as a Pharisee. Look at verse 5. As touching the law... A Pharisee. So you have the beginning of his path, but then his background as a Pharisee. Now being a Pharisee meant that Paul would have memorized the Torah. The first five books of Genesis, of, of, of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Paul would have memorized it. Not that, not that he knew it, he memorized it. He knew it by heart. He would have known all 613 of Moses' laws by heart. But the problem with the Pharisee is they were very religious, but they were lost. In fact, they took the 613 commandments that Moses gave, and by the time that Jesus got there, they had added some 1,500 laws to the 613 laws. Paul said in Acts 26, verse 4 and 5, My men are alive from my youth, which was at the first time my own nation known of all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of a religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul said there wasn't nobody that lived straighter than me. The beginning of his path, the background is a Pharisee, the brutality of his persecuting. Verse number 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. John Phillips says that Paul was a fundamental Jew and he was a fanatical Jew. He believed everything in Moses' law, but then he took it to the furthest extent. Anybody that didn't believe like he believed, he persecuted them. Acts 9, what's he doing? He's going down to Damascus to kill Christians. 
Acts 8, here's what the Lord says about it. He made havoc of the church. Paul, is, Paul said, I'm telling you, I was the best of the best. I had all these things. But notice, notice his blind, the blindness of his perception. Verse number 6. Touching the, righteous, t- touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Here's what Paul said. Nobody lived cleaner than what I lived. And here's the thing. Paul's writing inspired scripture here. He wasn't lying. Paul said, I lived straight. I was born in a good family. I was raised in church. I had all these things going on. Nobody lived straight in what I did. So if anybody can trust in their works to get them to heaven, Paul said, it was me. The, the, the safe warning, the stated works, number three, I'm hurrying. But notice the summary of worth. Watch the, the summary of worth. Watch this. In verse number seven, there is the recognized loss. Watch what he says now. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul was looking at his religious balance sheet, one writer said, and counting up his gains. And he spread them out in verse 5 and 6. The Judaizers, boy, they would have delighted in Paul's resume. But here's what Paul did. He picked up all those things that he'd done, all of his good works, and he laid them on the scales. And he took Jesus Christ, and he put him on the other scale. And he could have one or the other. He couldn't have them both. He, could, he couldn't have that. As on the Damascus Road, so now as an experienced Christian, he did not hesitate. For in this text, he said, all those things I gained, he said, I counted them, but lost for Christ. He, he, all those gains that meant so much to him, being a Pharisee, being raised in a good home, knowing the law, having all those things, I'll tell you what it was, it was all lost. Because none of them could get me to Jesus. Notice, his the the reckoning the the recognized loss, but then notice the reason for living. Verse eight: Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, do I really have to go into a deep theological lesson to teach you what dung is? Paul said, "I'm going to tell you everything that I've done in my works." Ought to just be flushed compared to him. In other words, Paul had given up a lot to serve the Lord, did he not? He gave up his home in Tarshish, his parents, all hope of having a settled home life, his Jewish religion, his ambition to climb the religious ladder. He had given up his health for hardships, beatings, and shipwrecks. He had given up the smile and favor of the Jerusalem. Uh, of the Jerusalem people to minister the gospel to the Gentile world. Hey, Paul, sitting down there in that Roman prison in the dark, chained to the wall. Was it worth it? Paul said, you better believe it. He said, I count all those things but loss. All those things. He said, all those, all those ambitions, all those things I gained, all those things I earned, they're not compared to anything like knowing Jesus. That I may win Christ. That word win means to gain. Paul said, I lost it all, but I got everything. And I tell you, when you you resign to yourself that you have nothing to offer God, but He has everything to offer you, you'll find that losing everything will allow you to have everything in Jesus Christ. Then there's the, I'm hurrying, there's the righteousness of the Lord in verse 9. And be found in Him, 
not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but of that which is through faith, the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Paul said, hey, y'all want to find me? Just look in Christ. I love this. To be found in Him is salvation's truth. And for Christ to be found in us, us is a sanctifying truth. To be found in Him means that when God looks at me, He sees Jesus Christ. And for Christ to be found in me means that when others look at me, they see Jesus. Ain't that good? I wish I'd come up with that, but I read it in the book. But I ain't proud. I'll give God credit. That's good. Oh, when God looks at me, He sees His Son. But I wonder when the world looks at me, do they see Jesus? Do they see Jesus? The righteous of the Lord. So there is a safe warning. There is the stated works, the summary of worth. It's 7.49. I got, I'm at 28 minutes. Let me give you this last point. I want to finish this tonight. Number four, and I'm done. There's the spiritual wisdom. In closing the night, Paul, Paul will give us three closing thoughts. First of all, what was his spiritual wisdom? What did Paul know really meant something? First of all, his desire was fellowship. Verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew who Jesus was, so he ain't saying I'd like to get to know him better. I'd like to find out who he is. No, Paul knew him pretty good. Paul wrote a lot of epistles already before he wrote Philippians. He knows who Jesus is. But he said, I'd I, I like, like to know him in a more intimate way. Now watch this. It's interesting. You want to know Jesus? It starts with a desire that I may know him. It leads to deliverance and the power of his resurrection. That's salvation. It deals with dedication and the fellowship of his sufferings. And it deals with death, being made conformable to his death. He said, if you really want to know something about knowing God, you've got to be resurrected. You've got to be saved. Then you've got to suffer. Then you've got to die. But look, then you've got to be resurrected again. Look at verse number 11. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. The way to get closer to God is have that resurrection life when he saves you and then die. That he might resurrect that spiritual man in you. What do I mean die? Die of the flesh. Right. Romans 6 says you're to reckon the flesh, reckon the old man dead. He is dead. But you've got to reckon him dead. Don't allow that dead man to lead your life. Don't allow the flesh to lead you around. They said, if I, and, and back in these days, if a man had killed somebody, one of, his, one of the punishments they would do is take that dead corpse and tie him around his back. And he had to carry that dead corpse around till that dead corpse rotted off his body. You know what a lot of people are doing? And letting that old man dictate where they go, what they do, what they watch, what they wear. It's the flesh. You've got to die. His desire was fellowship. Then his direction was forward. Look at verse 12. Not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend, that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. He said, my direction's forward. Verse 12, Paul states, he said, now, I'm not perfect. He said, I've not apprehended. The word apprehended means to take hold of. He said, I've not apprehended perfection. But watch what he says. But perfection's apprehended me. 
He said, for I am also apprehended of Christ. He said, I'm a chasing after that perfection. But that perfection's got a hold of me. Oh, I wish you'd get that. We'll never be perfect in this flesh. You'll never have a day when you don't sin. But you can always have a day when you don't sin as much as you did the previous day. And while I'm chasing that, thank God, I'm trying to apprehend that. Paul said, it's already got a hold of me. There's somebody living on the inside of me that is taking up residency. And he does no sin. It's the Spirit of God. There's a lot of talk about revival right now. A lot of talk about it. A lot of talk about it. A lot of talk about it. What most preachers are talking about revival is not revival. The average preacher does not know anything about revival. Because here's what revival is, church. It's verse number 12. I also am apprehended of Christ. He's got me. And that revival is the Holy Spirit of God filling you and you walking in the Spirit and obeying the Word of God. Amen. Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. It ain't, it ain't some, and thank God for extended meetings where people are saved. I'm not preaching against those tonight. Thank God for those that are done biblically right. But we don't have to have a 12-week meeting here to say we had revival. Oh, but if you get in your prayer place and you read the Word of God and you ask God to empty you of flesh and, and you confess every sin you can think of that you're guilty of before God and ask the Spirit of God to fill you and take control and lead you, that is revival. Paul said, I'm chasing after perfection, but perfection's got a hold of me. I got to, hey, I heard Brother Rich just texted me this morning. We, he texted me a little thought, excellent thought. We don't need an outpouring of the Spirit again. We just need God to fill us. And I, and I, heard, I saw a preacher wrote something, and y'all pray for me. I'm trying to do better. But I just can't stand ignorant people. Ignorance is not the right word. I don't say the word, but it starts with an S, and it, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. I just can't stand those kind of people, all right? Brutish. Brutish, that's my word. I don't like brutish people, amen? Thank you. I forgot about that. And they said, boy, we got to get more of God. No, you don't. You know, you got all, you, did you know you got all of God you needed when you got saved? <laughs> the Holy Spirit didn't, you know, send his arm in first. And after six months, put his, other le- put his leg in there. Yeah, I mean, this ain't the hokey pokey here. You put your left foot in, the left foot out. Come on now, help me out here. No, hell, I got a husband. When he saved me, I got all of God I needed. He lives in me. But I'll tell you what I do need. I need him to get more of me. I need him to take care of my hands and my feet and my mouth and my eyes and my mind and my body. I need him to take control of all of me. He lives in me and I need him to fill me. His direction was forward. Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do. Paul did not say these many things I dabble with. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. That ain't sin. In the context, it lists all of his good works. That's what he said, forgetting those things I used to do, all those good works. He said, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth. Those things which are before, he said, I'm going forward. His, his desire is fellowship, his direction is forward. Here's the last thing, his determination was fixed. Verse 14, I 
press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I have an aim, I have a direction, I have a goal, I have a prize that I am pressing on. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to fall by the wayside by the grace of God. But I want to finish well because at the end of the day there is a prize. I've been trying to figure out what this prize is in this text. But you know what I figured out? It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. Because if I do get any crowns and rewards, we'll just cast them back at the feet of Jesus. He said that I may win Christ. Oh, that is our desire. One day when we step into that city to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul said, That's the day I'm living for. It's what I'm living for. In Revelation 19, we preached it Sunday night. We went on the text. Jesus came back on that white horse. Bowson on his head, he had many crowns. Those are the crowns that we're going to cast at his feet. I thought about this. Would Jesus have a crown on that day that you gave him? Will you have anything to lay? The only thing that we can give Christ in eternity is the crowns that he gives us for our labor. Will you have anything to give him? Paul said, I'm pressing. I'm going forward. I'm not going to trust in my good works, but I know it's by grace through faith. Well, preacher, everybody knows that salvation is by grace through faith. Well, you need to remember not to forget. You better remember not to forget that there is a judgment seat. There is a day coming where we're going to stand before God. May God help us in these matters. Remember not to forget. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate your attention tonight. I preach 36 minutes. That's longer than what I normally preach on Wednesday nights. But it's three minutes to eight, so we're still going to get you out on time. Boy, I love the Bible, don't you? I strive, and I want this church to be a Bible-preaching church. And uh, I haven't always been a Bible preacher here in my pastorate, especially in my early years. But by the grace of God, till the Lord comes or God calls me home, we're going to preach this book. We're going to walk in it. Why? Because I don't know about you, when I study these verses today and preaching tonight, you may not be no help, but it's feeding me. It's helping me. Why? Because this is our final authority. Amen. Amen. Let's press on. You know how you win the prize for Thursday? You press on. Win the prize for Friday. Live every day in light of the judgment.